Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. How many have an earnest desire for revival? Okay, let me ask you to think about that before you answer. Because you know that with every question that merits a loud amen comes a great challenge with that. The good things are always at cost. This whole idea of entitlement doesn't apply to heaven. This whole idea of we'll just get it because God is somehow our sugar daddy and whatever you ask him just freely, he's going to provide. In scripture, we are taught that there are criterias that as believers we are to follow, embrace, emulate, and obey. And so let me ask you again and just take a couple of seconds to ponder the question as I ask you, how many of us truly desire revival? We pray that by the time that we're done with this short series that I've prepared for you for the next few weeks, that we will all earnestly begin to desire a move of God. And let me just begin to mention this word because you'll hear it more and more as we continue speaking and having our devotionals on Sunday morning, a permanent move of God. I said a permanent move of God. That is not a just a seesaw experience, not as I've mentioned so many times, a Christmas tree-like experience on and off. But a lasting, permeating, permanent, resident experience of God in the house. It's so important for us. And sadly enough, it's become less important. And this is for this very reason that we don't have great moves of God in the church anymore. And we're going to get to the criteria as to why these things don't happen. And hopefully as we receive this wisdom from the word of God, we will begin to thirst and with understanding on what it is and what we need to embrace if we indeed want God to move amongst us. You see, in the presence of the Lord, the Bible says there is fullness of joy. Amen? Now, in this world that we live in today, there is fullness of bitterness. In this world and society that we live in today, because of everything that's going around socially and economically and governmentally and all these entities that you want to include, it's, it, it's, it's frustrating. And, and people uh, more often are apt to walk down with their heads hanging low during the day than instead of walking with an upstep every morning, waking up and being joyful that the Lord has given us another day. Rightfully so, Jesus said that every day will bring its sorrows. Amen? And wow, we've had some serious sorrows. We've had some serious challenges. Amen? Would you pray with me this morning as we begin and say, Father, we just thank you this morning. and We ask you in the name of Jesus as we submit to you, Holy Spirit. Would you just open our hearts and help us to open our hearts if we refuse to at times. That we might receive something enriching for our lives, something true for our lives. Our desire, Father God, even if half-willed, we shout it out, Lord. We, 
our desire truly, I believe, in this house is that we want you more. That we truly know and believe that you deserve all the glory. And your presence, Father God, that fullness of joy doesn't come from what the world can offer us or has given us. But we want that joy of salvation that only you and in you can be found. And so as we submit to you, Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. Enrich our lives. Help us to grow, to mature, to develop, Lord, in your presence, God, that one day, Lord, the translation of our beings here upon the face of this earth will be seamless when you come to rapture your church. We ask and receive all these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone loudly says, amen, amen, amen. Here at Rock of Ages, we've spoken much of revival over the years. And if you've been here just a short amount of time, uh, I can, you can agree with me that we've seen certain surges in the house of God where the church seems to get excited and it begins to shout louder and the faces and the countenances of the people seem brighter uh, smiling more in the house of God. We, we've experienced that here in the house of God, amen? We've had those experiences here at Rock of Ages. I mean, there's, the ambience is filled, it's bubbly, and the worship team is excited to come in here and, and just give you everything they have as they deposit their worship unto God and invite you to come and jump on the wings of this worship that we might meet the Lord in the air. We've had those moments. And they're most enjoyable, I have to say, as your pastor, uh, they're most enjoyable to me to, to look when I come up here and I begin to preach to you. I, I see the smiles uh, of believers in this house when we're worshiping and the guys are singing and playing their instruments. We see when you're singing and you're shouting and, and having a good time. We've seen that. But we've also equally have seen the withering out of that joy. We've seen all of a sudden the quick lifting of hands in worship to all of a sudden it becomes like pulling teeth. Somebody lift up your hands and worship him. It used to be. Now it's like... The smile is... That half look of kind of happy but disappointed. It's not that the glee, the, the joy, the bubbly, the brightness of your face. All these things, ladies and gentlemen, realize it or not, is a result of the condition of the heart. You may say, no, my heart has nothing to do with it. Oh, yes, it does. Everything. That is the center axis of how you respond to life outwardly. If you're happy in your heart, your body connects to it immediately and everybody knows you're happy. But if you're broken and you're bitter in your heart, there's nothing in this world that could bring a smile to your face because of that brokenness. And it's the same way when we experience revival. When you're experiencing revival, it's an issue of the heart. It's not because the right song was played or 
you finally feel like you've got a little jig in you and you feel okay. No, no, no. It comes from inside. Everything in Scripture, when it comes to us and our relationship with God, has to do with our hearts. This is why the Lord says, render your hearts, not your garments. What I'm looking for is what's in the inside, not where you call or where you find your wardrobe, not how you fix your hair, not what you wear on Sunday morning. But I look for your heart. We're a little loud on this thing, guys. It's a condition of the heart. This is why it doesn't take someone who's prophetically speaking to you or somebody who could read you automatically. It's an easy giveaway when you speak to somebody and, and the responses are half-wit. You go like, what's wrong? It's not some kind of mystical power someone has. It's evident. It's what's in your heart that revealed your outer countenance. If you walked into the house today... Can't stand up here and say, boy, I see you guys rejoicing. No. Sometimes as husbands, you walk into the house and you see your wife and your wife says, hey, babe, I'm home. Hey, hey, what's wrong? Hopefully she won't respond well, you're home. But you look at your child, your daughter, your son. Hey, what's up, boy? Hey. What's wrong? Nothing. Ah. Isn't that a classical response for everyone that tries to hide behind the facade of nothing? Who is Mr. Nothing? Nothing. You're sad? No. Sure you are. Why? Because your outer countenance reveals what's inside your heart. When it comes to revival... You've been touched in the heart. Something has happened deep within. That's the only thing that causes you to rejoice in the presence of the Lord because you've given the Lord access to your heart. It's when you refuse that access to God's heart that you walk around moping around in the house of God and say, was it a good service? Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. But then you'll see somebody and say, God bless you, brother. How you doing, man? They're going like, well, what got into you? And the response is Jesus. In my heart. That's what happens when revival comes. And we've experienced those moments here at Rock of Ages. I believe that every church across the plains of this earth has experienced these moments. But I don't want to speak about the churches outside of this building I want to speak to you because I have personal experience with you and proof that I have seen you rejoice in the Lord. And it's much more fun to come and preach to you when I know you're rejoicing in the Lord than for me to bring some defibrillator and shock everybody and wake up, wake up. But just as easily as that joy comes, and we've seen here in the house of God, we've seen it dissipate. It begins to bleed out. 
and the church all of a sudden comes back to what we now consider norm. It's just business as usual. And I'm wondering in my heart as I pray for you and pray for myself and pray for ministry and pray for the church abroad, is this God's idea of us living our lives in him? What happened to scriptures that says that Christ leads us from glory to glory? What happened to scripture that says in his presence there is fullness of joy? What happened to those things? Were those just little spurts of excitement phrases given to us so that maybe we could have a good time for 30 minutes here at Rock of Age and then go home and mope around the rest of the week? Or is it even more challenging to think that the moments that we get excited in the house of God, you go and you die out during the week and you expect this guy here to try to pump joy into you again? It's too hard for me. It's a heavy, heavy load for any pastor to stand behind the pulpit and try to inject life into you. Now the church sometimes thinks it's your responsibility. No, it's not. I'm washing my hands. It's not my responsibility to keep the joy of the Lord in your heart. It's your responsibility. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll sooner pack the couple of books that I have in my office and go home if that's my responsibility. God never told me. I want you to stand up there, entertain them, and make sure to make them laugh. And they better walk out bouncing out of that sanctuary. That's not my job. I don't hire clowns on the pulpit to come and entertain you and have you walk out and say, like, oh, it's a great circus show. That's not my job. That's not my job. That's your job. I have my job, and my job is to keep the joy of the Lord in my heart. But we've seen those things happen in the house of God. We've seen the joy of the Lord here at Rock of Ages. The past 30 years that I've almost been here with you, I've seen them time and time again. And as I rejoice and I smile, sometimes I'm, I'm praying or I'm laying in bed, getting ready for bed, and I begin to think of the joyous times we used to have these many years ago or just yesterday or last month or whenever it was that it happened. I say, Lord, what an awesome time that was. We, we go home with that buzz going like, wow, what a service. Excited. It's awesome. But I need to stop there because if I keep going, there's a downward slope always up ahead. And that's what concerns me. That's where I'd rather not go in my heart and my mind. We've had the surges, the visible surges of excitement. But what happens to that when it all of a sudden begins to dissipate and fade away? I want to speak to you on the subject of revival. Once again, yet once again. And I'm going to keep reminding you while I'm here with you. I'll let somebody else worry about you when I'm gone. But I can almost rest assured that the next guy is going to be up here. I'm going to make sure to tell him, don't make your job to make him happy. Teach him how to become happy on their own. 
Jesus taught them how to be happy on their own because he was leaving. Are you with me this morning? I have not begun to scold you yet, so just relax. And so I want to speak to you on the subject of revival. And the title of my message or this devotion for the next couple of weeks is exactly that. The essentials of revival. You know, essentials. What is essential? Essential is something integral. Something necessary. An absolute necessity. Something that is imperative, something that is, is critical to something. It, this is essential. It, it's essential for us to breathe. It's not a, a, a philosophy, opinion, or a matter of how you feel. It's essential for you to breathe. If you don't breathe, then there is no life. And so I want to speak to you on the essentials of revival. And hopefully with this knowledge, ladies and gentlemen, we will have nobody else to blame but ourselves. When we see the effects of revival begin to seep out of the church. Out of your life. Now, when I speak of revival, I'm not talking about some great emotional stirring where people all of a sudden think of something positive and they walk out of here kind of bubbly and in a daze. Or something that, some phenomenon that happens in the church that causes people from miles around and overseas to come and see what's going on. It draws the people who are Looking for this little campfire to go sit around and say, oh, what's going on here? And we've seen revivals and we've heard of revivals over the years of how they've happened here in this state there. And how people all over the world will go and sit around that campfire where that phenomenon called revival is happening. So I'm not talking about some emotional moment, sensational moment. I believe what God is looking for in these last days, certainly forever, but certainly in these last days is some prepared people who are in search of holiness and worship that is lasting and true. Something that brings results. To the lives of those who experience it. Something that causes a change, a shift, a tearing down and a building up amongst a community of people. But that is real. Oh, we've seen laughing revivals. We've seen shaking revivals. We have seen all these kinds of revivals. I remember meeting several people who were into that kind of thing, and that's okay, whatever. But I, what happened? The, the shaking stopped. The laughing stopped. Some of the people that I've known have traveled afar to go to a revival today don't even walk with Jesus anymore. I lie to you not. And so you see... 
something's happening. Somehow we're, we're mixing up two things. We're mixing up a pep rally <laughs> with an actual move of God. I can agree, and maybe you can agree. Uh, there's a lot of pep rallies going on in the church house today. A lot of pep rallies in the house of God today. But not many revivals. Not many revivals. So we're not looking for a sideshow that comes to town every now and then. And causes us to experience a temporary high. Not some novel experience to cause the attention of people outside of us. But when we speak of revival, it should be an experience and a moment where we can enjoy the renewing, constant presence of God. How many believe that the Lord is the same yesterday? How many believe that He's the same today? How many really believe that He will be the same tomorrow? So what about him is shifting? As a matter of fact, we have a scripture in the book of Malachi that tells us that he is not a God that is shifting like the shadows. He's a constant God. He has never been a was God. He's always been a here God. He has never been a one day God. He's always been in the now God. He's always present. And so if that's the case, should it not be everything about him? Should we not at this very moment, if I stop speaking to you, summon the presence of the Lord and experience a life-changing experience in this moment? Unless he's changed. Revival. What a mystery. What a mystery. What a challenge. How many opinions, how many ideas, how many philosophies, how many approaches, how, how many activities, how, how many plans, how, how, how many programs, how, how many songs, how, how, all in the name of revival. In the book of Nehemiah, in the 8th chapter, which will be the place where we find our passage that I'm going to spend just a little time on. I find in this chapter five absolute essentials to revival. Unchanging, as a matter of fact, essentials for a people who want revival. The book of Nehemiah has often been called the revival book. Others call it the revival handbook. Because it speaks to us of a time where people were downtrodden and had, taken, had been taken as slaves by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. For so many years, over 150, 60 years, they had been in captivity. But all of a sudden, their yearning for God caused them to get ready and roll their sleeves up and go back to the holy city that had been destroyed 
by these marauding forces and antichrist people. And they put it in their heart. They determined in themselves to go back and revive the city and revive their lives in the Lord. It's quite the intriguing story. Challenging if you're not serious about revival. But I find in this book five essentials. That unless these essentials are not found in our pursuit, then I sadly disagree that anything we experience in the house of God will truly be revival. Just another phase. Just another moment. Just another nice song. Uh, just another check in the mail you may have gotten that caused you to be happy. That raise you've been expecting, that promotion at work that got you bubbly, and all of a sudden you confuse that with revival. No, you're just happy that you were promoted. The handbook of revival, Nehemiah. Here's a story of over 40,000 Jews making their journey back to Jerusalem from the exiles of Babylon, having been in prison and taken hostage by this demonic king. And they decided in their hearts one day when they could stand it no longer. Their hearts were broken as they saw the temple walls and the city walls torn to the ground. They had completely invaded everything, taken everything that represented God and sanctified. I believe they're the ones that coined this whole adage that is said that evil will prevail when good men do nothing. Evil will get stronger every day when good men do nothing. I can tell you, Rock of Ages, if I could somehow apply that saying to us today, we'll never experience true revival if we do nothing. We'll never experience true life-changing, delivering revival if we do nothing. So these people decide in their hearts that they're going to go back and take the city. They were looking for revival. They were looking to be made alive again. They were looking to come back to original worship. They were looking to come back to original praise, to the presence of God being real, not just storytelling anymore. They weren't satisfied with them being told of what happened in the times of Moses. They wanted to experience God now. If he indeed was the God that fed manna from heaven and kept them warm with a pillar by night and gave them water from a rock, it's not enough for us to hear the story. We know that's true, but we want our experience, our real experience with this real God now. And we've lost all that. If you look at the lives of these people, they're very applicable to us, very teaching to us. Them leaving the grips of Babylon is like you and I slipping away and being delivered from this dead world that we live in and the ways of this world that we live in. It epitomizes 
our life as well as they escape from this captivity from the Babylons, how we should have a hunger in our hearts to slip away from the grips of this world that offers us so much that is not approved by God. For them, leaving Babylon was their desire to know God as God wanted him to be known. And it was their desire in their hearts that God would know them as we should all desire to be known by God. They were looking for revival. Their lives are given to us as an encouragement, church, of how you and I should move towards Zion right now, toward that truly spiritual, real, genuine worship and lives in God. We are ordered of the Lord as a church today to come out from them, to come out of the things that we are so used to practicing even in the church, even in our lives, even in the hidden places in our homes. What we watch on television, the junk and the trash that we read, the things that we go through and we accept so easily as just the norm. We are ordered of the Lord to come out from them. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and 17, Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is what God has been saying since the beginning. This is not a New Testament verse alone. It comes from the mouth of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 6 and 16. He says, come out and stand at the crossway, the crossroad, and ask for the ancient path. And walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But if you keep going, you'll hear the response of the people. But you said we will not. Ladies and gentlemen... The challenge this morning for all of us is to stop saying we will not to God. And it's to recognize that the invitation to come out and ask for the ancient path is still being shouted at us from heaven. God still wants genuine worship from us. God doesn't want performers on this pulpit. Isn't it incredible how now today the church is all involved about worship and nothing else? It's attracting young people like mad. Oh, God, it's crazy. The lights are awesome. The drums are loud. The guitar is wailing. Oh, the lights are smoking. Everybody's jumping up and down. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they go home saying, oh, what, a, what an awesome concert. But they have nothing to say about God. Now, please, don't be all hurt with me. I see DJ starting to cry here. Let me tell you something. We can get all involved in worship, and that's a beautiful thing. We love to worship here at Rock of Ages. Come on, somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. We love to worship. But worship will never change you. God will change you. Don't you ever forget that. You can get up all in here and learn new songs and do this and the other and play this way or the other and perfect your skill. But it will never change a single hair on anybody's head. But one touch of the master's hand 
That'll change your destiny. Somebody say amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Why is this important for us to speak about? Because ladies and gentlemen, whether you realize it or not, maybe you're okay in your little incubator and taking care of number one, which is you. Maybe you're all involved about saying, well, it's just about number one with me, me and my house. Uh, I, I, I believe, I, I believe what, what was said in scripture to us, but what Joseph said, that me and my house, we're going to, you know, that's fine. Joshua said that, that's fine. But let me tell you, while you're saving yourself, there are masses of people dying outside of the walls of your house. And when you have revival, you can't contain it in a house. It spills over. And this is why God mandates us to pursue true revival and his presence. Because he wants this church to spill out in the joy of the Lord. There are people who are being torn up by the satanic powers of this world. They're following after things in this world in such a backslidden, ugly way that it's essential that the church begin to see God in spirit and in truth. During the times of Nehemiah, the Lord gathered these people, this remnant of people, to revive the holy city and the temple. And so they got ready to face the forces of evil, the enemy, the antagonists. If you read the story, you'll find out that they had many antagonists. Things that came against this plan. And rebuilding the temple and establishing worship as the way it was before and establishing a walk with God, reviving their lives in a permanent way the way it was before was no easy task. And it'll be no easy task for anybody. And so they cry out, we need to be revived. I ask you this morning, how many of us truly want to be revived? I want to be revived. And secondly, I want to stay alive. Are you thinking I should quit already, son? That's normally the sign, right? Hey, Wednesday lasted for four hours. But you know what? I'm going to have you play anyway because it, there was a prophet that used to preach better when they had music behind him. I'm not going to finish today, obviously, because this is a series, and I'm just going to go only as far as we can. So what do we see them experiencing? What do we see them embracing? What are the essentials they show us that must exist if revival is going to happen in this house? Let me give you the first principle. There must be a dire desire and thirst for the Word of God. That's about as many people that really love the Word of God. I said there must be a hunger for the Word of God. Nehemiah 8 and 1, 5, chapter 1, rather, chapter 8, verse 1, rather. Let's read there. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book 
of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. Upon the first day of the seventh month, he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Boy, we sometimes look at the clock because it's already going to be 12. Can't take an hour and a half of being in church. But they were there from the morning till noontime. Before the men and women and those that could understand in the ears of all the people who were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. They revered the word of God. We don't normally ask people to do that anymore. Only a few of us do at times. But I remember going to church when I was in my youth. There was never a service that began when the pastor began to preach. that didn't say, let us stand for the reading of God's word. And all the people stood. The cry of their hearts was, bring us the true word of the Lord. Ezra stood on a raised wooden pulpit and read God's word for six hours. While the multitude stood at attention, learning that the cause of their suffering was their own stubbornness and rebellion. So we see that this people had longevity for the Word of God. They had a pulpit in the church to be preached. And they also had understanding and knowing that God never moves away from us. But that when you don't feel God, it's a 100% responsibility of you having moved. They understood that when God moves away, God's not doing the moving. It's us doing the moving. This is why I began this whole conversation with implanting in you the truth that when you see revival and that moment of excitement in the house of God and you see it dissipate as if God decided to go across the street to another church, it's not God moving. Ahaha, uh -huh. it's not God moving. His bags are still here, but our trucks are loaded and we move out. We move away from the camp. This people understood. So let me make clear to you this morning that if it is lasting, genuine, biblical revival in our lives that we desire, there must be, and it will begin with a true hunger after God's Word. Not something philosophical. Not some master of synonyms coming up here and impressing you with his lingo. But the genuine truth of the living God. The fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, you'll agree with me that backslidden Christians don't like to hear the Word of God. It bores them. 
They want something excitement with excitement. Make me feel good. Tell me how I'll be better at home, at work, at business, at my bank account. They don't want to hear God's word. Backslidden preachers don't want to preach much of God's word. Because it puts them on the pulpit of judgment. It's okay. I've only been here for 30 years. I'm ready to go. They don't want to preach the word of God because it puts you on a, in a crystal pedestal. So we'd rather give you a little sermonette. Some little pep rally speech. Give me a J. They don't preach the law because that produces conviction and shakes the church. We need to go to another church. I had a guy the other day, well, maybe about a year ago, tell me. It's kind of hard to go to your church, Pastor, because you drive a hard bargain. I said, don't kill the messenger, man. Talk to him. He's the one that carries the big stick, not me, buddy. Or you've heard this say, oh, pastor, don't throw me rocks. They don't preach the law because it produces conviction and shakes up the church, makes you uncomfortable. We don't like to preach the word of God from the pulpits anymore because it makes compromisers squirm. where there is true desire for revival and where the Holy Spirit is truly at work, people on the pew and on the pulpit are clamoring for God's word. They cry out for God's word. This people had had enough of their lives living outside of God's word. They said, give us God's word at whatever expense. Give us God's word because that's what our souls cry out for. As your pastor, you don't really know how many times on occasion how I get texts or phone calls from people saying, do you preach the gospel there? Because where I'm at, we haven't heard a good true sermon in a long time. We have a lot of activities, a lot of musical entertainment, but we hardly have any word. People being conditioned to hear words fit for a pep rally. To walk out with nothing but the word excitement, not essential in their vocabulary. You see, a sermon, ladies and gentlemen, in the scripture there is a word, a plant, not simply a word. It's hyssop. If you look for the word hyssop in Scripture, you'll find it many, many, many times. And every time you find it referred to, you'll find that that was a particular plant, a very aromatic, beautiful plant that the priest used to use to take the blood of sacrifices and sprinkle it. But it also was used to rub on people and wash them. 
Now, that plant is not an easy plant to be rubbed with. It's not something soft. It's not a dandelion. Nothing soft. It's got little pricklets on it. It's got little needles on it. Not enough to make you bleed, but enough like a scrubber that we use at home. But they take that plant, and because it was so aromatic, they, they, they'd bathe the, the dead person with it so that people could put up with the decay. And when it came a time of sanctification, you'll read this in Scripture as well, that they used to use this plant to rub on the people of the house when they were sanctifying the home. And so when the priest left that place, the house would smell beautiful. The stains on their bodies were removed. In the times when the Lord asked the people of Israel to put blood on the frames of their homes for the plagues that the Lord was going to send to destroy Egypt and to suppress them and allow them to be free, they used hyssop. Because it removed the personal stains of their in and outs of their home and it covered them in the blood and it scraped off the junk. The word of God is to be used as hyssop. It's supposed to not be comfortable all the time. It rubs you sometimes. But it's taking off the stains. It rubs you sometimes and it kind of irritates a little bit. But it's covering you in the blood. You walked into the house of the Lord all stinky from being involved and rolling around in the world of sin around you. But you come into the house of God. And if there is the word of God being preached from the pulpit, all you have to do is come so they can rub you with the word and hyssop. And you walk out of this place smelling new, smelling fresh, and covered in the blood. Numbers 19 and 18. I'm, I'm going to begin to finish. Like I said, we're going to carry on with this thing. Are you having a good time this morning? Have you felt uncomfortable yet? Has anybody felt uncomfortable yet? I was hoping so because then I'm doing my job. If you're still feeling good, I still have a ways to go. Numbers 19 and 18. Then the man who was ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle the tent and all its furnishings and the people who were there. They were sanctifying the house, ceremonially cleaning. This typifies what God's word is supposed to do in the lives of the church. Every single one of us in this place should walk out holier this morning. If you walk out the same, then something has happened. Either you didn't make yourself available and stood at the end of the line of those who were being washed, or there was nothing to wash with from this pulpit. That's okay. Okay. 
He must also sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone or a grave or anyone who has been killed or anyone who has died a natural death. You see, it's talking about death. What is sin if not death? The man who is clean is to sprinkle those who are unclean. And the third and the seventh days, on the seventh day, he is to purify them. Those who are being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe in water. That evening they will be clean. But it begins with the washing of the word. Do we want revival? Then you must hunger for God's word. You want the smell of sin and the marks of sin in your life to be washed off? A good song won't do it. A good program won't do it. A good little meeting here and there won't do it. But the Word of God will do it. The Word of God will do it. So we as preachers are called to preach the Word of God with the intent to wipe off sin. To wipe off and brush off the smell of sin in the lives of those who will listen intently. Those who are hungry. I heard a man say, a preacher one day say, instead of preaching with a word that will wash the sins of men, we've been bathing the church in soft soap. Soft artificial aromas trying to make you feel bubbly and fresh instead of sometimes just a little sore because that was a deep mark right here in the heart that he had to scrape off. He wasn't too comfortable because of the things that I've been practicing, saying, doing, thinking, or the places I've been going. He had to brush them off. The Word of God. Where revival is stirring, ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God must be stirring. There must be a hunger for the Word of God. Bibles are important to people. The message of the Bible is the top priority to people. There is an excitement about preaching and teaching with true reverence for the Word of God. The Word of God is loved and honored. And they shout out constantly, give us the Word, preacher. Give us the Word. My children need the word. I need the word. My family needs the word. My wife needs the word. My husband needs the word. My employment needs the word. The world needs the word. Hallelujah. But there must be. We can submerge ourselves in spiritual worship and all these things that we do in church all we want. But if we want to be changed, we must be submerged in the word of God. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Whoever said that coming to church was supposed to be a fun time? Who's teaching that doctrine? Let's go have a good time. Let's go to church. If the guy is smart, he'll say, No. Because every time I go, it takes me there. Judges the attitudes and the thoughts of the heart. 
And still these people knew that and they proved that they knew that because they recognized that the only reason that Jerusalem had been destroyed was because they weakened at the face of adversity and they allowed the enemy to destroy Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, as I close this morning, that's all I have time to give you. You want true change and revival, permanent revival in your life. You want to be alive every day. Then learn again. Train yourself again. Roll your sleeves up again. And start loving God's word again. If you are saved today, if you are saved today, you got saved through the work of the word. Nothing else. If you are saved today, what did the work in you was the anointing in the Word of God that took a hold of your heart. That's why I'm saved. That's why I'm saved. This is why nothing else can take away my salvation. This is why I don't need a good song. I don't need a good program. I don't need a good this or the other outside of God's Word. If I have God's Word in my life every day, I know I will be saved today, tomorrow, and forever. Hallelujah. I will be saved, and you will be saved. Your children will be saved. I remember an illustration as I ask you to stand this morning. I love you, John. When are you leaving? He's leaving today. I'm not playing with him. This young man is a Marine, one of our finest in America. And while he's been home, he, he got married to this beautiful young little flower right here. Are you leaving her here for a little bit? We'll take care of her. I promise you. We'll take care of her. We're here for you, darling. But we're going to be praying for you before you leave. But I'm remembering, ladies and gentlemen, this illustration this pastor or evangelist gave years, years ago. He was walking down the sidewalks of the city with his wife. And up ahead, coming toward him, was this drunkard. Looking at him and walking at him. And the minister looks at him and the drunkard stops and, hey, I know you. The evangelist says, yes, I know you. You saved me. You saved me, remember? He says, hmm, I don't remember, but it's obvious that I'm probably the one that saved you. Because if Jesus had saved you, you would be living that life right now. Hallelujah. If the word had saved you, you wouldn't be rolling around in the street. It's obvious that you are my work. Because I can do nothing. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why I began the way I began. It's not my job to save you. You need to get saved through the word. 
It's not my job to keep you happy. I'm not a clown or an entertainer. I left entertainment years ago. I'm calling the Lord to give you His Word. And you have the responsibility to hunger for it. If you'll just hunger for it. And you begin to consume it. There's a guarantee that comes with it. The Bible says that therefore. No one can remain the same to those who are in Christ. Because the Lord will take out the old. And he'll make everything new. He'll make everything new. If therefore anyone be in Christ, if anyone be in his word, the old stuff goes away. He's going to scrape it off. He's going to scrape it off. But I'm telling you, once he gets that cancer of sin off of you, that's when revival comes for real. And you know you don't need a program, you don't need a song, you don't need this, you don't need anybody, nothing outside of who he is. And the joy of the Lord will truly be your strength every day. Whenever you see revival as we know it seep away, that's the first thing you're going to look for. Am I still hungry for his word? If you just begin to hunger for his word, I promise you, revival will always come to life. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.